you leave yourself at this huge risk of losing relevance, of losing momentum. And again, I'm not saying that you, that will happen. I'm saying risk. This is all, you know, looking at it through the lens of, of where you are investing your time and talent and the risk of how that happens. And the mitigation strategy to that risk, how do you mitigate that? Well, you build a brand as a subject matter expert around what you're doing outside of those four walls. Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. What if you could hang out with experienced tech industry executives, ask them about career growth, equity compensation, investing, financial strategies, and more. Then take an insight or two to guide your own career and lifestyle. Each week on the show, Christopher Nelson shares an in-depth look at how to navigate tech careers and hyper-growth companies, select the right companies to work for, earn equity, and build a passive income portfolio. Christopher is an author, tech exec, and principal and co-founder of Wealthward Capital. His goal is to give you the information you need to grow your career, build wealth, and make an impact. Now, here's Christopher. Hello. I'm Christopher Nelson. Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. I, your host, have been in the tech industry for 20 plus years. I have climbed my way to the C-suite, worked for three companies that have gone through IPO, and invested my way to financial independence. I'm here to share with you everything that I've learned and introduce you to others that can help you along your journey. Today, I'm excited to introduce Blen Wago. She is a personal brand strategist for SaaS executives. She's somebody who has worked in tech herself, her career accelerated very quickly to a chief of staff role at SAP, a very large technology company. And now she transitioned out to help other technology employees and executives develop and grow their personal brand. So we're going to get to hear her career story today and then also ask her questions on what is a personal brand? What is the benefit of it? What are some of the steps to get started? I want to make sure that there's a lot of actionable advice for you to take away. Let's get started right now. Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. I'm so excited today. I have Blaine Wagao, and she is a personal branding strategist who didn't just all of a sudden wind up there, but she had an amazing tech career where she worked in customer success. She was also a chief of staff and a chief storyteller, leveraging amazing soft skills to build a career in technology. And then she found an opportunity to go and help technology employees create a personal brand. I'm so excited. Welcome to the show. Hi, Blaine. Thanks so much, Christopher. Happy to be here. So, one of the things that we really enjoy doing on this show is understanding people's origin stories. I think that we get so much value out of listening to, number one, find your way to technology. So many people just have different journeys to find their way into technology companies. How did you navigate it? And then how did you get to where you are today? So I don't know how far I should go in my origin story. We could start way back where I'm from. So that is Ethiopia, the capital city. Yeah, let's start. I think a lot of people have really interesting geographic origins too. Let's go. Yeah, let's go to where I'm born and raised. So I'm raised in the capital city of Addis Ababa. Usually people are pretty surprised when they meet me because my accent is slightly misleading. So that's where I'm from. But how I got into tech is actually when I was doing, pursuing my master's in Germany, like years later, I ended up being a working student is what they call it in Germany, which is basically having an internship at little tech company called SAP. I think you might know it, so a pretty big enterprise tech company. When I joined, I did not know what SAP was, what it stood for, 
what the abbreviation nothing but it was just a job that paid and i was a broke master's student right but i ended up there but since i've always been someone that does like to grow in general which is just any kind of achievement i think that's also you that will be a kind of a recurring theme in this i just do like to progress i was one of the hardest working interns you would have thought that they were paying me a lot of money so i was checking emails while i was in the amphitheater at in the university all of that i was just so mm. into it because it was like my <laughs> first real right. work life experience and when i finished that internship and i finished my masters i was lucky enough that they sponsored me to actually stay in germany and become a full time tech employee so that's how i got into tech i didn't know what sap was I knew that I wanted to be in tech to be fair because the way I saw it is that most companies were tech that's kind of how I saw it so that's how I got into it. Right, most companies are becoming technology companies but I think working for software manufacturers is really special because you're actually then making this technology that defines and accelerates how the world works. And so tell us a little bit about going from your journey and starting in from the intern now establishing your career and where did you go from there? Yeah, sure. So the first full-time role I had was kind of an extension of the team that I was a part of, which was within customer success and it was in customer enablement. And one thing that was cool is that I didn't go into SAP directly. It was actually through an acquisition. So Mm. Hybris, aka the commerce platform for the front end piece, right, of that SAP ended up acquiring. It was acquired maybe six months before I joined. So okay. I joined kind of a startup feel. The whole team, none of them wanted to be part of SAP. We were very rebellious, so that was also interesting. But <laughs> I started in customer enablement for the commerce product. So I was the person that was organizing the webinars, liaising with the product team. I'm really making sure that you know what's on the roadmap. What should the customers know? And that was like a really cool first job to have, actually. And I would host these two to three to four hundred webinars for wow. customers at like maybe like three months into the full-time role. So I got to learn a lot. I stayed in a similar role probably in that team for two or three years, but I did progress doing different things. And then I was actually leading the surveys and insights team, which was still in that commerce product suite, but basically the people that were surveying the customers and being like, okay, what's, how's the NPS looking? How mm. great are our products performing? So I was actually leading a team relatively young, you know, a small team, we were about seven, but really making sure, okay, do we know what information our product team should have from the customers and all of that, right? And we would also host events, you know, things like that. So pause right there for a second, because I think for yeah. for those of us in software manufacturing, we understand like this is a critical part of software development is getting that feedback from the customer and for yourself, leading a team. Yeah. And many of us also understand too, that you go to work for software companies because there is opportunity for accelerated promotion. These things happening early. One of the questions mm -hmm. that I always get asked, and I think it's important to ask yourself and what your experience like is as a young leader, how did you build trust with the team? And then also how did you build trust with the executives to make sure that they felt comfortable giving you this leadership at that age? Great question. And to be fair, the person that promoted me and really saw my potential was actually an executive two layers removed, right? So it wasn't my own boss, but someone else that saw, hey, this person really has great potential. So mm -hmm. it wasn't easy and it wasn't obvious from the beginning. 
I did not have that initial trust from the team. So, you know, now there were many years removed. I can talk about this freely, but I was younger than everyone actually that I was leading. Right. So it was actually tough to really position myself as someone of authority, even though obviously I wasn't there for a reason. So it wasn't easy, but from trying to actually stepping away from having this kind of friend relationship to now becoming the leader, one was tough, but when I was also making sure that I was actually highlighting the work that the team was doing, it was less about me mm. and it was always about the team. So I think after a few months, the team also saw, okay, she's in there to not just be boss us around. She's with us, right. she's working, and she's also always highlighting the different people. So that was my strategy, but it wasn't easy. Well, and that's some coaching that I got from a mentor too, when I took over a new team and like you, I was younger than other people. And the saying was, stand up and take the criticism. So in other words, as the leader, stand up, take the criticism for the whole team, and then you sit down and you share the credit, right? And make sure that, that mm. people understand that, okay, now when it's time to take the reward, take the credit, that now I'm not in front like I was when I was taking the criticism, I sit down and I share the credit. And that's yeah. literally what I heard from you is you said, hey, it comes in, let me make sure and give everybody the credit because I think some of the most profound leaders that I've ever seen are literally in the background. The team's in front and they're behind, you know, acting as leader coaches. And they're also not afraid to step out and actually do the work themselves. It's not like they're these puppet masters or anything, but it sounds like you got some similar coaching and some similar skill work in your experience as well. Yeah, 100%. I'm someone that likes to see what other people are doing. Mm. I take what I like and I discard the rest, right? Throughout my career, that's kind of been the same theme. Of course, when I look back at that leadership role, there's a lot of things I could change. But sure. I also saw that from someone else, right? Like my boss's boss was really good at highlighting other people, at tagging them in the email and really right. making sure that that person knows. So, you know, what's the best way to also get people to read your emails is actually when you're giving credit to other people. That's a little hack, right? Because people want to know, oh, wait, what did Maria and the other team, what was she up to, right? It's right. a way to actually get people's eyeballs on things. So yeah, that, that definitely helped. Well, and it sounds like this role then started setting you up for for even greater things because it wasn't long after that that then you got promoted to become a chief of staff. Yeah, so there was a small role in the middle, but um, I can talk about the chief of staff piece because that's probably been the biggest, biggest learning time of, of my career, right? That one was huge. But my background has always been communication, so comms. That's what I studied and what I think the mm. reason that I also got promoted to chief of staff was my communication skills, right? Especially like email writing. I talk about this all the time. If you can write a good email, especially in big organizations like SAP, yes. that people get a ton of emails, people are tired. So if you can make someone's reading experience pleasant, right? Like I've had two or three bosses that I just, their emails were so beautiful. They had <laughs> stories in them. They were visually appealing, right? So before my chief of staff role, I was actually a comms lead for uh. one of the business units in customer success. So around 1200 people. And again, that was actually being seen by a couple of executives that put me into that role, which is really huge. That was, you know, what is the right comm strategy for this business unit? How do we structure the all hands? How do we make sure that people are feeling like they know what this executive team is doing? Because that's a very common thing in tech where there's like a gaping hole where people are doing the thing and the executives are strategizing and then there's 
no connection between the two. So my role was bridging the gap. So probably you're not aware of this, I'm sure, but my wife, Regine Nelson, right? She's that's what she does in technology is she oh, wow. is internal comms. And oh, wow. uh, and so I, what you're saying right now is, I mean, this is dinner table talk for me, but oh. I think it's important for everyone to know because I, you know, until she transitioned from doing more traditional PR into an internal comms role as we got married and I sold her on the idea, we got to work for equity. Like we got to get in these companies. She's like, <laughs> and she transitioned there. But many people in, in one of the things that I want to educate, you know, everyone who listens to this program is there's a lot of different roles inside of tech companies and storytelling, communications. And what you just articulated right there is you have a group of people, the executive team, their role is really vision and strategy, as well as managing and monitoring the execution of how teams are performing. Mm -hmm. But when they get that strategy and vision, they do need people in teams in larger organizations to be able to communicate what does that mean for me? If I'm an individual contributor that's multiple levels down from the C-suite, I need to understand what does that vision and strategy mean for me? And I think it's, mm -hmm. it's really important in companies where everybody's a shareholder because you're trying to also articulate what's going to then be the value delivered by executing this strategy. So I just wanted to highlight that for a moment. I think we all need to understand the value of internal communications. And if you are a storyteller, you're a writer, you're a copywriter, there's opportunities for you inside of technology companies. Yes. You and your wife and I should chat, first of all, because I think internal comms people are doing the, you know, the Lord's work. Like that is <laughs> such an important role within a company. I think it's too often underestimated or underrated. But, you know, good comms within a company does so much. Like, yeah. you can retain your employees better. But also, if you're complaining about margins and revenue and all of this, and why are people are not doing their jobs, why aren't they getting it? A lot of times, it's because they don't understand. They're not bought in, right? Right. Especially if you're not holding mm. these things often, right? And your managers are not actually able to even answer the question their team has. Like, a lot right. of times, there'll be this strategy, like especially if you're in a big company, these decks and these all hands and the earning calls, like they don't really make a lot of sense to what a team is doing. So right. ideally your manager understands and that's ideally, and usually it doesn't happen because that communication has like, they haven't translated, right? And executives have tunnel vision because they're in the board meetings and they know what they're doing and they get the graphs. Well, what you called out right there, and it's interesting how this is, has come up in just different conversations I've had recently especially around incenting employees that are shareholders as well. But what you just said is so important to understand is that these strategy decks are written to educate the board, mm -hmm. the board of directors, and that will then go out to other shareholders, analysts, right, for publicly held companies. So it has a different focus on it. And then you need this team that says, how do I now change some of this finance speak, corporate speak, and translate it into what does it mean for these teams across the organization? And because everyone can interpret it a little bit differently. And so, yeah, so important. Yeah, 100%. So now it makes sense. So I, I'm glad that we went back to that particular role because then all of a sudden yeah. you're leading teams. Now you get this internal comms position. So that is then now you're able to communicate these messages. You're able to think more strategically because when you're translating from a heavy, dense strategy doc and you're able to then communicate to employees, 
you then get visibility and understanding of what's happening at this strategic level that opens then a door that says why don't you come be my chief of staff yeah and this is actually a really interesting story so back you know maybe a a month or two before I actually transitioned to that chief of staff role, well, I was privy to information that not not a lot of people were, right? So I was put on an NDA, right? I'm far gone from SAP, so I can talk about this. I was put on NDA, and then I was told about this massive, massive reorg that was going to happen, mm. right? One of the biggest the company has ever seen, which meant separating one board area into two. That would mean a new board member would come in, et cetera, et cetera. So our part of the business would also essentially be completely moved around, right? Wow. So I was actually helping craft a story with my executive team of how best to explain this, etc. So fast forward when the announcement came in and the president of services was brand new. Not a lot of people knew this man. He was holding in all hands. That means around 20,000 people would end up reporting to him. Again, imagine wow. no one knows him and he's walking around and he's explaining, okay, my name is Shane Paladin, all of these things. And I also... You know, my team is nearly complete, but he says, I have three roles in my team. I think he, he said, I have a head of APJ. I have a chief, I think, someone in strategy and my right hand for my chief of staff. While he was saying this, I was at an offsite with the team that had just gotten demolished, the whole and, you know, our senior leadership team. And we were watching this man being like, oh, wow, he's going to be the big boss. And when I heard him say those words, I was like, I'm going to apply for that role. Mind you. We talked about that same role at dinner, saying, oh, well, obviously, probably already has someone, probably needs to be someone that's been at the company 20, 25 years, right? Right. I was hearing these things, but I don't know what's something about that moment that I'm going to do it. So I sent him an email. I actually have the email, and I posted it on LinkedIn. I'm happy to share it with you because I think- Yeah, let's link that in the show notes. Yeah. (laughs) And I said, hey, Shane, I'm raising my hand to be your chief of staff. This is why- I don't pretend to be perfect, but I do know that I'm good at this and these things, mm. I will fill this void, right? And the way I got the job, I think, is because I said, as a chief of staff, I know that, or as a president of services, I know that you will have this, 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 this situation. You'll be in a lot of customer meetings. You'll need someone that can prepare the briefings. You'll be in on the road, all of these things. This was March 2020, end of February 2020, right? So I didn't know it was going to happen. So. I ended up getting the role. You know, we were supposed to, the role would have involved a lot of traveling. I should have been at least 15 years, you know, more experienced on paper. Like the job description did not fit the level I had, right? The job title and the job level, right. the salary bands, right? So then transitioning to this chief of staff role, it sounds like I remember, I think you posted a a letter that you wrote on LinkedIn, an email of how you got that role. Why don't you walk us through that story? Yes. So true. I need to repost that one actually again for my, you know, for the new followers. Anyways, but way back when I was still having that comms role, we kind of got some wind that there will be changed at SAP. I was actually put on NDA uh, with a very small group of people figuring out that, oh, in a few months, there's going to be a huge reorg at the company involving Mm. also a brand new board area. So fast forward, maybe one or two months later, when this board area had been announced, Right. And the person that was part, you know, heading the services piece, Shane, was giving a speech, right, introducing himself. And he also said, hey, I have three roles available on my team, on my huge team, by the way, 19,000 people and his executive team. So he said, I still have a head of APJ. 
mm. as up for grabs. I need the strategy officer, I believe, and my right hand person, my chief of staff. I need a strong chief of staff. That was this word. And I was in an offsite with the rest of the my senior leadership team watching him give that speech. And I remember thinking, I want that to be me. I'm going to apply for that chief of staff role. Later at dinner, we were even talking about that role. And a lot of people were saying, ah, he probably already has someone. You know how these things are. He's probably just saying it. He's probably going to take someone that's been at the company for you know, 20, 25 years. You know, someone that's like SAP through and through. But I still felt that I wanted to apply. So when the job description was up, I sent him this email that you probably saw and I pointed out, hey, Shane, as president of services, this is what I think you're going to be in certain situations and this is how I can help you. So it's always about him. Mm. And I believe that's how I got the job. Right. So a few days later, we got on a call. It was very early March 2020. The idea was to do a trial travel run. Right. Because it's true of staff. You would have to be with that person all the time. Usually. Right. But then it was like right at COVID, we were supposed to meet in London, I believe, or in Waldorf, like in the headquarters. Didn't happen. So we just like got hitched basically with never meeting. And then after that, it was a year and a half to two years. The best job I've had, the hardest job I've had, but the one where I learned a ton. Wow. There's so much to that in the sense of seeing the opportunity, taking the chance, right? There's that saying that you don't get any of the chances you don't take, right? So you obviously took the chance and it sounds like then you leverage all of your communication skills to craft something that made you identify as a primary candidate for this role. Yeah, 100%. I think it comes down to communication skills, of course, but also business acumen in a certain way because you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of what would a chief revenue officer, right? Like, mm. what does that person's day-to-day look like? If I was a chief of staff to CEO, what does that look like for a CRO? It's different. He happened to be the president of services, which means he has to be customer facing all the time. He has a PNL to run, right? It's not just one part of the business. So really understanding how do I write the best email or whatever to that person, right? Right. And this is one of the things that I talk about. And it's a concept that I'm trying to present to people, which is positioning yourself as the asset in this exchange. Like there's this nice salary package. Was there any equity involved? No, okay. sadly. There's shares. Yeah, there's some shares. Okay. So yeah. at that point, you're positioning yourself as this rare and valuable asset that then can meet that exchange. And the way that you position yourself is you talk about experience and results. And some of them are past results. The other part is a visioning to them of how you can help them meet their current results. Because when it comes to executives, they want to surround themselves with people that can help them deliver results because they are on task and they have lots of incentives to say, we need to meet these goals. We need to meet these things. And so I'm sure that, and I would love to at some point, yeah, reread that letter with you with this lens of how did you really position yourself as this asset to help him deliver results? Hundred percent. I think one thing along with positioning yourself as an asset is how would you alleviate pain in right. general, right? It's not really saying I'm going to add to your team. It's I'm will take away pain. Mm. Right? I think people need to look at a lot of times when you're wanting a promotion or wanting to apply for something. It's not just I'm gonna be great because it's I'm gonna reduce all of this other headache. Like this is what how I think I'm gonna do it. I think it's not done very often because everyone's like, me, 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 I'm so great, I'm so great. It's like, no, 
why does like causing someone so many migraines because they're like the steering committee that's taking so much of their time or this project that's like been happening for the last six months right like how can you help yeah and that is how can you help them be more efficient and i think as you get a promotion as you work for cios for many years as a vice president or as a senior director my goal was to make their job easier i call it reduced drag and you're right taking things off of their plate that allows them to be much more efficient in their role and you know this is also when you look at how do you create great teams part of this is how do I bring in a skill set of something that is my zone of genius, but is something that that particular executive is not good at? And then I can, to your point, reduce their pain, reduce their frustration, and they now can move forward with ease. It's so important to think that to me is this attitude of more servant leadership of how do I come in and serve versus how do I come in and conquer? How do I come in and win? Because sometimes the wins aren't what you see. Yeah. I have to give a shout out to that boss that I had. He was the true life representation of a servant leader. Every call he would join with the team. Always like, how can I help you? What can I do? Mm. Right? Like when I saw that and the fact that he really put it to heart and then would collectively try to find solutions, right? That's why he got so far as well. So yes, hundred percent. Wow. So then you have this role. It's absolutely amazing. And at some point you leave. What was the impetus for that? Yeah. At some point I leave, and this is the, the thing with being a chief of staff, right? You get into such a, ideally a great relationship with the leader that you're working with, right? That person knows you really well. So that boss actually ended up leaving to become the CEO of a scale-up, right? A B2B SaaS mm. called Side Improve. Um, and that's also why I joined him, which is there was like a need in that company it had recently been PE bought right and he came in at that time and they were doing a lot of changes in terms of like their messaging but also kind of like new strategy and all of that so there was a need for someone that would bridge the gap between marketing and comms which is how do we tell a better story for what our products do not the marketing piece not not that kind of stuff but right how can you bring human stories of what these products do so mm. that's why I left yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. I mean, I think a growth strategy in career and can also be, you know, from an equity position as well. I've seen people go to get teams ready for acquisition or IPO as a team, but you follow a leader that you've worked for, you have a great relationship with and you go with him. So then you essentially followed that leader to become the chief storyteller at Site Improve. And so when did you start? And that's, and so at some point it was while you're working for Site Improve that you start realizing there's a real need and opportunity to help technology executives building personal brands and telling their own stories. Yeah, the seed was already planted when I was at SAP. And the biggest reason is I saw some very talented people, mm. right? Like, let's be honest here. Sometimes the corporate game isn't fair, right? So I saw some people being pushed out. I saw some people, whether they're being laid off or things like this, mm. where I realized, oh, wow, you can be at a company and you can have a great reputation inside of the company. You have great frameworks. You think really well. People know you. But split second, you can be gone. And all of that thing you've built doesn't really matter, right? So that seed has been planted. Yeah, it's so unfortunate because I made a decision at one point to go to work for a private equity company because I wanted to understand what that was like, get that experience. And I was part of the management side 
of a reduction in force, or sometimes they call it a riff, where we had yeah. to look across our teams. And it is an absolute brutal part of that process, which is ultimately you have to hit a number. It becomes a numbers game where it's like, okay, we have to now get the expense line to be this. And you have to then look across your teams and it's the optimization scenario. Like you're just trying to make the least worst case possible because you're arguably having to go in there and do some reorg and great people have to go. And it's one of the most hardest excruciating things as a manager I've ever done in my life. And yeah. To your point, there's no ounce of fairness in that at all because it's a great executives, great people who get let go and they then at that point are feeling vulnerable and feeling, how do I now create a foundation in my career? Mm -hmm. I think it can be a very, not only stressful time, but a very lonely time, right? Mm. Because especially if you've associated your name with a company, which with those big, big tech companies like enterprise level like that happens right like sure you go to the same event you go to the yearly annual things your customers whatever right. like you have a name you're a googler you you know all of these things as well that's taken away of course your reputation still stays but my point is that it stays within those four walls so that's when the seed was planted and when i was at set improve i was already thinking for a long time that I wanted to do things on my own, to be fair. Like I loved corporate, like, you know, cause I was good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I left, I think at a time where I understood the game, you know, for lack of a better word, yeah. like, had other really big plans, which was to move to the U S to double, triple my salary. Right. Mm. I was going to get into real estate, right. Investing on this side and really, really build that wealth. But there was also part of me that wanted to go on this route where I was like, I knew that, the corporate route would kind of somehow be sacrificing for at least a decade. That's how I saw it, yes. at least in a way, yeah. right? And I don't know whether I was willing to pay the price. I'm putting quotation marks for those that are in a, you know, listening on the podcast, but but we can get to that why, why exactly I left. But yeah, the, the personal branding piece was planted very early when I realized it's a dangerous place to be and when only people within your four walls, know how great you are. Right. And I think this is a good place to start wrapping up this first segment. And I want to read that back and take a moment on that, because to your point, when you are somebody who builds a brand within four walls of a single company and you establish yourself there and your name is associated with that, and all of a sudden that is taken away for whatever reason, mm -hmm. You leave yourself at this huge risk of losing relevance, of losing momentum. And again, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying risk. This is all, you know, looking at it through the lens of where you are investing your time and talent and the risk of how that happens and the mitigation strategy to that risk. How do you mitigate that? Well, you build a brand as a subject matter expert around what you're doing outside of those four walls. And this is why we're now at the halfway point. We're going to get back with Blaine and we're going to talk about what are some strategies to build a personal brand. So with that, we're going to be right back after this. All right. Welcome back. This is the second half. We're here with Blaine Wagow and we're talking this time on this half as her specialization as a brand strategist for technology executives. So let's just baseline it. What is a personal brand? How do you describe that? 
Yeah, sure. The way I like to think of it is your personal brand is basically your reputation at scale, right? It's mm. the thing that you are known for. It's the first few sentences that come to mind when you think about a particular person, except that it's when people are also looking you up, they kind of get a hint of, okay, this is what this person is about. And so when you think about executives and what we just left off with, like building your brand out of that four walls, let's talk about what's the benefit? What do you see the benefit of if you have a robust personal brand and you know you happen to be working for corporate? What, is, what does that give you? A lot, right? So I'll take it from, from internally to externally. So I think a lot of times people tend to think, oh, I don't need a personal brand because I love my company. Mm -hmm. I have a great company. I'm loyal. I'm going to stay here. And, you know, I don't dream to be this hotshot CXO somewhere else. So right. why do I need it? And what I tell those people is, you know, funny you say that, but if you have a personal brand, it actually you become more valuable to your company as well because more people know about what you do. Let's say you're in a team of 50 people, right? You know, you might know people around you. You might be on some of those team meetings. You might be on emails forwarded, right? Right. Maybe you've been on some presentations at a work event, right? And your personal brand goes that far, your internal reputation. Mm. But let's say that you've actually been posting online and people are like, oh yeah, Christopher, he's in the team, in Arnold's team. And they'll actually talk to you internally as well. And it's like, oh, you've been doing this interesting thing that I did not know from my company. So right. it increases your visibility, right? Mm. I think that impacts your promotions because you're that person that everyone notices. I always say like the hard workers are not the ones that get promoted. The ones that are seen are, right? right. So being seen usually also affects your dollar bills. And I know that your podcast talks a lot about that as well, about wealth. I think it right? affects yes. your, your pockets. It does. And one of the things that I talk to people a lot about this too, and I advocate for building a brand and an expertise, right? So whatever you're doing inside of a technology companies, and I interviewed somebody earlier who her specialization was procurement, right? Is mm -hmm. going in and buying all of the things that technology companies need to run. She built that expertise and then she became known as an expert. She actually then started an external networking organization that has now come to see multiple roles for her moving forward, vice president level roles at different companies because yep. she's not just seen as I am a worker at a certain level in this company, but no, you're actually a thought leader in this space. Wow, we could actually bring on board a thought leader who actually has connections who, you know, arguably has leverage in the industry too, because we can actually purchase from them. You know, they know us, we could get our brand out there. I mean, there's all sorts of value that you can bring to your own company by being an expert in what you do. Exactly. hundred percent. So building that authority, which is whether it's procurement, whether it's your finance, whether it's pre-sales, right? Yes. Everyone has these you know, frameworks that you've worked on, right? You know, what is the best way to make sure that CRM that you chose for the company was the right one? You probably had a way of figuring that out as That's a procurement right. person. Or what is the process? What is the approval process? Why is a minimum spend 1K and not 10K? What is the reasoning behind that, right? Mm. So if you're like actually explaining to people why a certain field is the way it is, why there's like more logic, right? Yes, people will connect it to you, but you're also educating others. So they're like, oh yeah, we'll bring this person on board to our company right. because we've seen what she's able to do for that company. So why not for us? And you just get way more opportunities, whether it's 
you know, can you speak at this event? Can you come to a podcast? Whatever it is. Because you become exactly like you said, much more than just being a worker within a field and you become someone that actually has something to say about the industry or the topic. Right. And that gives you a lot more visibility. And I've seen people that have well-established personal brands outside of their work also be able to win if they decide to leave their company, they can easily transition into consulting. Because again, they have that respect in the industry and it takes a little thought to put together what is a consulting package, what are the results that I would deliver. Again, if you continue to build that and you can navigate in and out and the way that I see it is it becomes this asset that's larger than the company that you're with. It's also separate from the company that you're with. So where do people start as you're working with clients? Where do you generally have them start in this journey? So I think, of course, channels matter, right? If we say, where do you start in in terms of actually getting your voice out there? I would say the most obvious thing for professionals, right? Corporate, startup, scale up. LinkedIn is great, right? Because it offers you a long form. That's already where the decision makers are. That's Mm. already where you have your connections. It's the obvious place to start. But if we take a step back and we say, how does one build my personal brand, right? What do I stand for? Of course, it doesn't come that easy. Right. But, you know, figuring out what are the things that you can have conversation with for a long time? Your wife, for example, internal comms, right? You can probably talk about it <laughs> to anyone she sees because she's in it. Right. She knows a lot, right? I always say start where you feel comfortable. But a lot of times people feel like what they know or the knowledge that they have is like, but everyone knows that, like internal comms. Yeah, everyone knows that. No, like you would be surprised at what the information you know is actually not that obvious for a lot of people, right? So mm. one thing that I always say is try to actually give advice to yourself from three years ago, right? So if you're wanting to write on LinkedIn or publishing content, it's don't try to be this guru that has all the answers. Just help the person that you once were. What do you wish you knew about procurement when you got into right. it? Like, what did you think it was? And then what surprised you? Mm. What are the lessons you learned that if you knew this, you could, you know, save six months of like, you know, two quarters of headaches when you're like (laughs) doing this thing, stuff like that. That's like a really good way. Well, I think so many people don't understand that what you've learned, all of the mentorship that you've had. And even if your industry has a lot of meetup groups and things that communicate, there's always nuance and things that you can add to value. And, you know, what I've been told in this is one of the things I'm practicing is I'm establishing growing a personal brand is give away everything, you know, give it all away. You don't need to keep any secrets because where if you do consulting or if you do coaching or strategizing, you're going to get paid to help with the implementation. Because many people will see and under, start understanding the concepts, but they don't know how to bring it to life. And that's one of the things I think it's important to understand is you start establishing a brand, just start writing what you know, and then people are going to ask more questions than what they want to know, or they're going to want the talk to come with your personality, to come with more insights. Yeah. Write about what you know. And you know, in the beginning, I would just urge people to also have fun with it, right? Because it's not about having it perfect. You know, I still have so many things I want to talk about that I'm like, okay, I'll pace myself because, you know, everything doesn't make sense at once. But when I started, I would post about anything that brought that passed my brain, basically, because I wanted to get the feedback. I just wanted to get practice and write the reps so that the idea of actually creating content is actually very scary. A lot of my clients, I've been there, right? Mm. Somehow you feel like once you put your voice out there or your words out there, one, they're set in stone. Everyone will see it. Right. Everyone will remember it. It's all false, right? 
you can go back on an idea, you can change your mind. That's One right. of the best qualities people can have is actually you can change your mind. And then that's another thing you can talk about. I thought that leading a team in this way was the best, right? Like you have a team of seven is the ideal number. Actually, it's five because of what, you know, whatever it is. Right. Everyone won't see it. Your entire LinkedIn fan base or followers won't see it, right? They'll forget what you wrote. But after a while, when you're writing about something consistent, that's how you build a personal brand because then you're associated with something rather than, you know, that one post won't, won't make or break anyone. And so what's some of the real tactical stuff? So if you say to somebody today who's sitting down and saying, okay, I really want to start my personal brand. What are some of the, you know, three to five steps that they should do to just get started? Yeah. A few steps I would say is choose your channel. I really recommend LinkedIn. Remove any headache, choose LinkedIn, write a few content themes, right? Like Mm. you feel comfortable in. It might be remote work or traveling or whatever. And something that you're really passionate about, right? Or something that you like. So you're like, okay, I can talk about this. And then I would recommend actually to go on LinkedIn and to find a few people that you want to be inspired by. You're like, oh, I like how Christopher actually comes on there, right? You don't have to reinvent everything. You can say, I like how he writes. I like how she structured this. She added an image. Ah, cool. Save these in your little bank, which is a swipe file or whatever, that you can go back so that it's less scary, that you're not looking at an empty page. Right. And then write a few. I always say, like, write a few notes. Draft a few so that you're not like, you post one, you don't hear anything, and then you're scared. What do I do for the next one? Right? Like, mm. And then test. You know, it's fine. If you get one like, two like, it doesn't matter. Know that you're doing this for not perfection. It's actually just to get the reps in. So finding a few themes that you enjoy, you know, having a set of posts that you have like as your backup so that you don't get too overwhelmed once that first one goes live and whether right. you get overwhelming response or a very underwhelming response, right? you have a few to hold you over because we've all been there where you're like, oh, what do I write now? Like, oh my God. I wrote a post that's like five paragraphs. I said everything <laughs> in this one, right? I hope that helps at least get started. It does, yeah. Just get started and I think consistency plays a role too. And in more than anything, finding that comfort zone of just the things that you like to talk about. Because I know for yourself, you could probably talk about personal branding all day, right? It's something that you enjoy. It's something that brings you joy. Well, I want to yes. thank you for your time. And before we wrap it up, we always go to the fire round. So we always ask five questions that can really give some insights and help people out there, help your younger self. So what was the worst career advice you ever received? Ooh, probably wait until it's your time. Uh, wait until you have two years because the career progression says you go from associate to specialist to director to VP, wait, right? People that just like tell you to wait, I think, yeah, really bad. I'm glad I didn't listen to it because if yeah, I did, you, you obviously I would have had a very different. <laughs> took the opposite of that advice. You're like, nope, not waiting. Not uh, waiting. How do you keep learning? I love to read. Big, big reader. So anytime there's a topic that interests me, either a YouTube video or read about it, but I'm always reading at least three or four books at the same time. So I wish I need to put my bookshelf up sometime, but yeah. (laughs) And so I know, especially when you are a solopreneur and helping a lot of people, you can just get overwhelmed, exhausted. How do you recharge? Well, it'll be funny if I said I read. I really do. That is my safe space, right? Mm. Like being home and just like actually reading in a corner is funny. But hobby I started like since a year, which I love, is going to spin, spin class, like music, cardio, dark room. You know? <laughs> I don't think about work. I don't think about anything. I just think about 
the reps, a little bit of the pain, and I love music. So that has been the one thing that I can truly like take off. So it's amazing. That's great. What's some advice that you would give your younger self working in tech? Trust your gut. I know it's a little woo, but the ideas you have or this person, you know, this, this mm. intuition you have, believe in it. That's mm. what I would say. Believe in it. Yeah, it sounds like that's something that helped you move forward. I mean, in your career. Yeah. You got, what's the soft skill that you would say has helped your career the most? I see active listening. Mm. You know, really listening to hear people and to understand where they're coming from, then to respond. You would be surprised. I'm still not great at it. I'm not perfect. I could improve. But I think if you really listen to people, they'll tell you what they want. But we're so caught up in having the best answer that we tend to already be like formulating an answer in our heads instead of just like taking it in. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. How can people learn more about you? Yes. You can find me on LinkedIn, my favorite platform under Blaine Wagow. You'll find ways to get to my website that way. Send me a DM. You know, I'd love to chat and yeah, that's how you can find me. Excellent. Well, thank you again for taking the time to spend with us today. And for all of you, thank you for another episode of Tech Careers and Money Talk. I just have three quick asks. Number one, please follow this podcast. We're young podcasts, need followers. I'm talking Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, you name it. We're there. Number two, leave us a review. What did you like about this? What were your takeaways? Like we do want to hear from you. We would love some five-star love. And number three, tell other people. We need to get the message out there that we're having conversations about career and money from people who've been there, done that, and we're here to help. So please just spread the message. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christopher. <laughs> yeah. 